This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock? Tech story is front and center. What will this wind up doing to the cost curve? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. So it feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele. Behavioral challenges from the pandemic could linger for years on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, welcome. You're listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio. I'm Guy Johnson, not in London, in New York, alongside Alex Steele, which is very exciting. We've never done this show actually in the same studio, Alex. No. It's quite a moment. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty much going to ignore you the same way that I do when you're in London. This is probably true. So, you know, it'll, it'll feel the same. But I can see you. <laughs> you can Normally see you're me. just this kind of voice, this <laughs> ethereal voice on the other side of the Atlantic. It is really fun. And you're here because you had a great Boeing interview yesterday in Seattle, Washington, and then you flew overnight. Um, that was great. Did you feel good about the interview? Like you feel like you got good visibility from Bo- Boeing? Um, yeah. It was it was fun. We got to talk about lots of things about airplanes, which makes me very, very happy. It's true. I've suddenly realized how far away Seattle is. Really far. So basically, flying from Seattle back to New York is pretty much the same distance Time-wise, it's a little off, but yes. from flying back to London. You know what they call that flight? <laughs> the red so eye. So there's an inside joke <laughs> on our team. Alex wanted to call the the San Francisco segment the red eye. And I was like, that sounds like you're getting conjunctivitis. And she was like, no, no, we call it that. That's what we call it. I was like, and, it's and a And thing. I got the red eye. I, I didn't actually get the you red didn't, eye. So no. I landed at sort of midnight. No, but you understand now what it is, sort of. Yeah, I still think it's a terrible name for the show, but anyway. Okay. Anywho, uh, okay, what are we doing here? Uh, so the, market's so, happening, so Fed's happening. happening. The, the market's, the, nothing's happening in the markets. We're waiting for the Fed, we're waiting for the ECB, we're waiting for the Bank of England. Um, so nothing to see here. Euro's up a little bit more. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Bank strikes. of England tomorrow. We've we got strikes. strikes in the UK. We're going to talk about that. The other exciting thing is that I've I've got Charlie Pellet sitting next to me. He's going to bring me some. He's going to bring me some exciting headlines. What an honor! And here's what's going on: uh, the big story on this side of the Atlantic, and by implication around the world, traders bracing for the Federal Reserve's rate decision just under two hours from now. Complete coverage on Bloomberg. Investors are parsing an avalanche of data that sent conflicting signals about the American economy. A report showed job openings surging in stark contrast to private payrolls data in America that came in earlier today, hinting at a cooling labor market. Speaking of labor, millions of office workers throughout the UK were forced to work from home today as widespread industrial action closes schools and cripples Britain's rail network. As many as 475,000 union members are on strike, demanding pay rises that do more to combat the cost of living crisis. Many were given salary increases of less than 5% last year, even as inflation climbed above 10%. Again, a commuting nightmare in London. London. Major train stations completely closed today, including Victoria, Cannon Street, and London Bridge, while more than a dozen key commuter rail lines were not running any services. Prices at UK shops rose at their highest rate since at least 2005 in January, with retailers offering fewer discounts than during the festive period. The British Retail Consortium said shop price inflation accelerated to 8%, a record for an index that started in 2000. That represents an increase from 7.3% in December. That is the latest from the news desk. He is back here in New York. So we say hello. Big warm welcome. Guy Johnson, incredible interview yesterday with the CEO of Boeing. I've got to ask, autonomous planes, 
You know a lot about the industry. Are you worried about this concept of autonomous planes? It's going to come from the military, then it's going to go to civil. So it's got to work in the military first, then they'll take it into civil. But I, I guess it's one of these things. It's not a, on Monday, you're going to fly on a piloted plane. On Tuesday, you're going to fly on, a, on an autonomous plane. It'll be incremental. It'll just happen more and more slowly. More, and more. You, you think it's about like, how- it's like EVs. They weren't just like here's a robot driving yeah. you. Yeah, I, 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 pilot friends of mine that fly big triple sevens and things like that. They say they get into the cockpit. They say, I want to go from London to New York. I put the bu- push the button. The plane does does it all. Mm-hmm. The plane can take off. The plane planes can take off and land already. They they often do. So actually, I, I think we're already there, to be honest. Alex Steele, would you feel more comfortable, though, with somebody up front just monitoring all of the dials rather than having to contact somebody on the ground who's pushing buttons somewhere? 100%. Yeah, me too. One Me too. I love planes. I love the industry. But I want somebody, ideally, up front who is older than I am flying the plane. Because they've got, I like doctors that are older than I am. Is that possible? There's a few people. <laughs> that out went there. right over my head. There's, there's like one or two, maybe, maybe pilots. Yeah. yeah. That are older than Charlie. Yeah. 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 But I, I just man. like the idea of experience. I'm sorry, doctors as well. I want somebody who's seen it all and it's not a crisis and they're prepared for it. Anyway, you guys have a show to do and presumably no, a lot. No, no, no. You've got the Federal Reserve today. Which is also potentially on autopilot. <laughs> also oh, very nice much so. One. That's yep. quite good. Nice one. Nice transition. Um, UK stocks are not an autopilot? Uh, no, Did they're not. Did that work? Um, I'm glad to be here today. Mm-hmm. I'm glad yes. to be here because I get to see you and I get to see Charlie and I get to see everybody else, which is fantastic. I'm also glad that I'm here because I don't get to experience the strikes. It sounds terrible. Truly awful. It's like every industry now? Th- there's a lot of them. I, I think some things are still working, but... But anyway, so you've got transport strikes, teach, teacher strikes. Oh, my Lord. Having experienced homeschooling during the pandemic, oh I think every parent has a new appreciation for what teachers do. And homeschooling your children, particularly the smaller ones. No, you're not working. There's no way. Hands no. down. So, no, it's yeah. not happening. You, you are definitely not working. Um, fire, ambulance, rail services, right? All, All things the, the that whole we thing. need. Like going to the airport and coming back from the airport, that's not happening. No. I'm driving from the airports on Friday. I'm quite happy about this. Um, Eamon Farhat joins us as ever to update us on what is happening. Eamon, this has felt like the worst day thus far. Can you give us some some sort of colour uh, on the impact that it's had? Yeah, so today, as you said, there was almost 500,000 people who walked out from jobs. It was teachers, rail workers, you know, no trains running basically to so many stations in London. And if you were in London today, guy, you would have seen that really things did come to a standstill in many ways. You know, restaurant bookings plummeted. You could really feel that this was, you know, a big strike day. We've had strikes for a long time, but today's strike day represented more people going on strike than the entire month of November put together. It is the biggest day of strikes in over 10 years. So where is this going to be enough pressure to put anything on the government to sort of move the talks where we need to move them? Yeah, so obviously it's it's always about pay. You know, the 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 chance we were hearing this today at the different picket lines were mostly about pay, and that's the big issue here. The government still, you know, isn't budging too much. There are some meetings next week, as there always seems to be. I would say that, you know, one thing we're hearing today is that the fact that the government has made this stretch out so long has almost encouraged these unions to work together today. And it actually worked quite well. You know, the support was really high, kind of good media coverage. So this kind of day like this, this mass strike day, could happen again and could be even bigger in future, which maybe could then make the government budge. Break it down for me. There the, the rail strikes have generated a lot of headlines, um, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering what the sequencing looks like here. How close are we to, to getting a deal on the rail strikes? I think I saw a headline earlier suggesting maybe a deal could be on the table. 
which ones are going to be protracted? Which which of these strikes are going to be protracted, and which ones do you think are likely and potentially resolvable in the near term? So on the rail strikes, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. The RMT, this major rail union, which has been kind of grabbing headlines since June, having these major strikes, they have now two offers on the table for most of their members, and that could get resolved, depending on what the members say and think, that could get resolved in the next couple of weeks. Aslef, who are the train drivers who are on strike today, when they go on strike, trains just don't run because they have to drive the trains, and they're quite far from getting an offer. When I spoke to the union leader today, he was telling me that, you know, they're almost, you know, gone backwards since when they started these talks you know things are really stalling there when it comes to teachers university staff civil servants who include kind of border force you know british museum which was closed today they're really at the very the very initial stages of talks you know that this is one of their first day of strike action and things are really in the early stages so rail workers are a bit further ahead Apparently, there was also a poll today that shows that about half, more than half the public thinks sunak's government's doing a, a bad job of negotiating the unions um that sounds bad yeah i mean obviously the government has really Keeps trying to toe this line of, you know, there is no more money. Let's talk about next year's pay, you know, trying to push this forward. But unions now are really kind of digging into their their position that they want to get some kind of pay rise that's close to inflation. Inflation now, you know, running around 10%. They're only being offered about 4 5%. And they're saying that's not a pay rise. That's a pay cut, which, you know, is a good point. Um, the government, you know, is arguing that you give people a pay rise, that will make inflation even worse. So let's just wait for it to come down. And this whole situation will kind of manage itself. So the government's definitely under pressure. Yeah. Public support for the strikes is still, you know, quite strong, but it's still also, you know, emergency workers always have the strong support. And today, for example, university staff, not that strong support. Drivers, not that strong support. Eamon, as ever, great coverage today. Really busy day. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Eamon Farhat joining us, our strikes reporter. So what impact is this all having on the economy? How should the government be thinking about it? How should the Bank of England be thinking about it? Uh, Marcus Ashworth standing by from Bloomberg Opinion to talk about this. Marcus, I'm I'm kind of I'm trying to understand if the government decided to to give really decent sized pay rises. Let's call it I, I don't know. Let's say ten percent pay rises, but the economy gets back on track. Which one of those two factors would be more important from an inflationary point of view? Would the ten percent pay rise be inflationary, but would it be cancelled out by the fact that the economy's sort of potential is greater? Yeah, I don't see that the, the one begets the other. I, I think the government would be mad to do anything other than what it's currently doing, which is hold the line, because I don't think these are strikes are having any particular economic effect. I read about this a couple of weeks ago. I had a long chat with Dan Hansen about it. He then went did some actual uh, numbers on it, and you know that the effect is is negligible. And I don't think today's action will will budge the government either. Um, and I think it would freak the Bank of England if there was a ten percent um, pay rise because. You know, you have to look at the dreaded word productivity when it comes to uh, quite what's been going on with, with, with public sector wages. Yes, they are falling behind the private sector, but you can't look at it on a one-year basis. You've got to look at it at least since the pandemic, where they've been substantially higher, full, fully paid throughout um, you know, what the private sector had as furloughed. So in, in that context, I, I don't think the government can budge, or it will budge, and I don't think it will need to if it can last out towards April when we'll see, I think, inflation drop very sharply because I think they'll keep the energy price cap, which will knock over 2% of inflation on its own lower. So in that sense, I I think the Bank of England is going to be worried more about core inflation and whether or not that continues to to stand as high as it is, Mm -hmm. but probably we'll be starting to look through it. Hey, Marcus, tomorrow, 25 or, or 50 from the BOE? Oh, you know, I, I had to come up with a line, which was 50 and done, nice round number at four. Uh, and that is probably my best guess, but it really could be anything. There's even a chance that two of the members could vote for a cut, 
I don't see it, but it's certainly possible because they didn't want rates to rise 50 basis points last time. Um, we haven't had much out of uh, out of the uh, ECB, um, sorry, not giving their heads. So in that sense, uh, we've just really had Pill, Chief Economist, and Bailey, the Governor, both of which have been slightly contradicting each other, but there are they're clearly inflationally positive signs turn the corner, and they expect clearly inflation to drop sharply in the, in the second half. Um, so I think there's a chance of 25, certainly. If they have to compromise, yep. Bailey may have to come down to 25. But I think 50 is more likely. Just thinking more in the medium term, say inflation does come down relatively quickly, but the labour market stays tight. How does the Bank of England do that? Because if we end up starting the beginning of the next cycle with a tight labour market, you could see some really significant wage inflation. And as a result of which, maybe the Bank of England at the back end of this cycle doesn't have the capacity to cut in the same way that it normally would in a normal labour market. Yeah, that's a very good point, actually. Uh, and yeah, I, I could see that. I, I don't think that we should be too worried if we've got inflation falling quite sharply and a wage rise is nice and, and, a, and a strong labour market. That's Nirvana, surely. Don't we want to get paid more and have all have jobs? Um, what we don't want is to have all that and a very high inflation, which they can't keep control of. A lot of that was due to... Yeah, but you get a temporary dip in inflation and then it re-accelerates again. That's got to be the worst yeah, case scenario. True. I think we are trying to double, triple guess what happens. So there is obviously a risk of that. Personally, I think the effects of globalisation, which is still in their technology, a number of other different things, demographics, mean that we will probably see a correction to a lower level of inflation than people are currently fearing. Well, I, I don't think we'll go down below, um, you know... Zero, should we say, just yet? But there is there is a chance we get a, a deep, uh, brief dip into deflation, and then we level out and we, we bump around, probably higher than we're used to, uh, possibly above their two percent target. It makes life a little bit trickier for uh, central banks. I, I appreciate what you're saying there, but at the moment we have you know this strange labour market. We have five million people out of the workforce, yet no nobody taking jobs. It's it's a, a lot more deeper problems I think to be solved than just. Uh, worrying perhaps just about how, how strong it currently is. I think that's probably good news. Um, just in terms of tomorrow and sort of what we're going to wind up getting from the BOE, um, they forecasted eight quarters of a recession. And I'm wondering if like they're going to either have to revise that or say not really a recession, or it's going to be five quarters or six quarters. What are you thinking? Yeah, I think everyone's expecting them to revise it up, um, you know, to perhaps clearly not being in, in recession um, right here, right now, as we have probably thought we were already in. Um, I think it's just going to be bumping uh, flat line. We might get a technical recession for a couple of quarters or whatever you want to call it. Um, but as you know, there is actually no such thing as a technical recession. Because it's, it's the term comes to the, the National Bureau of Economic Research in the States and they, they don't abide by that. And they're quite happy to go back and revise what they think uh, was or wasn't a recession. Uh, and I think that's what we're going to have here. We're going to have this sort of feeling we're in recession, or certainly a no-growth scenario for the next year or more, as we've really had all the, uh, of last year. And from there, we, we might get a bit yep. of positive growth in 24. Marcus, it's going to be a fun day tomorrow. Lots to digest. ECB and Bank of England. We're going to talk about the ECB next, get a sense of what is happening there. Um, Speaking you of. do wonder, yeah. Well, that's that's what's that's what we're going to do next. We're going to do that. Speaking next. of, yeah. yeah. Thanks. Great. <laughs> this is working really well. Here. I'm really glad that we're both here together. Yeah. <laughs> this is Bloomberg. 
This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, you're listening to The Cable, Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is here with me in New York. It's that mic, the other one. But the so other thing. It, we're, 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 oh, we're, now I've got you. Okay. He's not convinced that his mic is turned on, and I keep telling him it is, and he's looking for I think, a blue light. Honestly, I think Alex is trying to sabotage. <laughs> Because that's what I would do. That's what yeah. I would totally do. Um, okay, so we just talked about the BOE. The main event tomorrow is obviously going to be uh, the ECB. The data that we got out today I found to be quite interesting. Overall, euro area inflation uh, slowed to about 8.5% um, from 9.2%. Yay, that was great. But the core inflation is still very sticky at an all-time high of 5.2%. Obviously, Guy, this is not going to you know make the ECB blink in terms of what it's going to do uh, tomorrow. But you have to wonder what this means for them for March. Yeah, I think if core remains sticky, then they've got a problem. They're a big um, problem. A lot of people we're talking to do seem to suggest, though, that the eurozone economy is slowing down fairly rapidly. Um, now, headline inflation would certainly suggest that, and ultimately that is what the ECB is judged on. But it does seem to be more concerned about what is happening with core right now. So is that where it's going to focus its attention? And how long before headline bleeds into core, I think, is another mm-hmm. key question. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think I think the ECB is is... In so, the Fed feels like it's going to do 25 tomorrow. Uh, sorry, today. Tomorrow. It, um, the, the Bank of England could provide a surprise tomorrow. The ECB feels like it's on, on, on rails to deliver 50, mm-hmm. but I think it's it's what it says about what comes next I think will be most interesting tomorrow. Yeah, and the March uh, situation. Well, let's get some more on this with Bloomberg Senior Euro Area Economist Meva Cousin. Uh, Meva, okay, fair enough. So if 50 is a done deal tomorrow for the ECB, um, what's the rhetoric going to be about March? I agree, it's probably done deal for the 50 basis point tomorrow. Um, the data we've had this week quoted us, we've got GDP with growth of 0.1% in Tokyo, which is higher than we were anticipating and that the ECB was anticipating. Uh, we had inflation falling more rapidly than expected, but core staying at 5.2%. So in my view, it's actually uh, confirming the, the picture of persistent core inflationary pressure. So it's going to probably support the hooks more than the doves going into tomorrow's meeting. So I think it's going to uh, put more pressure for another 50 basis points in March, which is our forecast. How long before the slowdown in headline feeds into core? What is the the delayed and lag there? So there's quite a bit of lag, uh, and it's mostly on goods that we are going to see goods, core goods and and food. Uh, We estimated that uh, the lag between input prices and consumer prices is quite long, but we think that Core goods uh, prices could start to, core goods inflation could start to decline going into the end of, what, on the, of the first quarter. And that's going to help lower core inflation. But at the same time, we have quite a lot of wage pressure. Uh, and we think services inflation is going to stay higher for longer. And that's going to delay, the, delay some of the decline. So with core inflation starting to fall towards the end of, of one Q, the start of two Q. Fall how fast? What, like f- Fall to what? Better question. Say it again, sorry. Fall to what? Core inflation fall, but to what number? Uh, fall to what? Uh, ultimately, it's probably going to converge, uh, and actually it's going to converge to uh, below 2%, probably over the course of 2024, as we are going to see, we are expecting to have very low uh, inflation on goods following the very sharp increase that we've seen yep. uh, through the pandemic. Uh, but that's not the ECB's view. Um, so we're waiting for the March forecast to see if they are going to, at, at last, lower their uh, core inflation forecast to 24, 25. 
going into 2024. The ECB has a single mandate. Jean-Claude Trichet used to talk about having a single needle in the compass, and it is inflation. But is the labour market a better guide as to what the ECB is going to do next? The labour market within the Eurozone is, by historical standards, still very tight. And I'm wondering if this is a better guide to, to how ultimately the ECB is going to act. I think to the extent that it's passing through to wages and services inflation, it's probably a better guide. And that's why now we, we know that the ECB is focusing much more on core than headline, headline trolling, but that's energy. What matters really are underlying pressures. So to the extent that the tight labor market is falling into wages, uh, feeding through to wages and underlying pressures, yes, that's what matters most. Um, I just got an, um, a note from an energy analyst who talked about apparently this like surprised me right by a European Commission's Green Deal industrial plan that you're looking at potentially uh, companies can draw on EU funds and a principal pool of 225 billion euros of loans, 20 billion euros of grants, and all of this remaining from that 800 billion euro post pandemic recovery fund. This is all to compete with the US IRA. How does the ECB think about this kind of money that's going to be hitting the economy? That's uh, <laughs> quite a complicated question, actually. I think um, there's a, to the extent that it's targeted, it's targeted to on companies to invest in this. Uh, I think it should not affect ECB thinking too much. Um, if that was to start feeding into consumer prices, of course, into like aggregate demand, domestic demand, that would play a role and risk uh, pushing up inflation. But to the extent that it's targeting on investments for green investment, it's probably not going to affect the city's thinking too much. In terms of kind of how we should be thinking about how far the ECB is prepared to go, what is your current thoughts on ultimately where the terminal rate is going to be? How high do you think the ECB will ultimately go? Currently, we're facing 3.25% for the deposit rate. So that's 50 basis points. Uh, tomorrow, 50 basis points in March and 25 basis points in May, and then a long pause. Um, clearly, I think that's also one thing that we're going to watch very closely tomorrow. Um, there's a risk that they want to hike a bit higher and a bit longer, potentially, so two, two times 25 basis points uh, in May and June. Um, but it would be 325 is already clearly in restrictive territory, and there's still a lot of pass-through to happen to the real economy, from the risk-free rate to the borrowing cost to the real economy. So I think they will want to sit back and watch uh, how that's happening and um, the impact of the higher rates on the real economy. All right, Eva, thank you very much. We appreciate your time today. Going to be a really interesting 24 hours. Bloomberg Senior Euro Air Economist, Meva Cousin. Um, and I think that that's the point, right? Like, how high do you go and then how long you stay there? Um, if the markets fight central banks, it's going to be the proof in the pudding and how long they stay that's going to disrupt stuff. Yeah. Uh, and maybe they, the, the ECB and the Fed and the Bank of England feel that they've got a credibility issue if the market's not listening. So therefore, 100%. they need to communicate that they are gonna, they're going to go further and they're going to they're ultimately stay higher. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable, Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is also here with me. We have a full house right now in the radio studio. I don't think I've ever seen this before. Um, quick check in here on U.S. markets. Pretty much going nowhere fast, but the Dow is off by 1%. And I just say that because that very much might be an Amgen thing, but markets are trading a little heavy. We did get some economic data out, though, that was relatively solid. 
depending on where you look. Uh, the JOLTS number coming in, uh, 11 million uh, job openings. That was the plus side. The ISM manufacturing, though, did, wasn't really great. The lowest since May of 2020, and prices rose again, and new orders didn't look good. But employment did wind up holding up, and ADP uh, saw jobs added about 106 thousand jobs. So again, the mixed data. Um, I also want to point out a bit of news we got um, about half an hour ago. Adani Enterprise has now decided to not go ahead with its follow-on public offer of shares. Um, Earlier, uh, we were looking that there was money in escrow. Institutional investors were going to subscribe to the shares. It looks like now that money will be returned from escrow, and they are not going ahead with the share sale. All right, that's a quick update here on the U.S. markets. Now let's get some more headlines with Charlie Pellet. Hi, thank you very much. Alex Steele, here's what's going on. Britain's pubs and restaurants fear this week's strikes will cost them £100 million in sales, with London shouldering most of the impact. Almost half a million British teachers, train drivers, and civil servants walked out today in protest against real terms, pay cuts. It is the largest single-day strike in a wave of industrial action that has been growing since the summer. And according to Bloomberg Economics, uh, the strikes are estimated to have cost the UK economy about £1.5 billion last year. UK house prices fell for a fifth month in January, the longest string of declines since the financial crisis more than a decade ago. Nationwide Building Society said average home costs fell 0.6% this month and by a revised 0.3% in December. JP Morgan Chase is planning to launch a digital bank in Germany as its second international consumer outpost, a move that would create a launchpad for the biggest American bank to further expand in Europe. J.P. Morgan made its first consumer foray beyond U.S. borders in late 2021 with a digital-only retail bank in the U.K. that offered checking accounts. That is the latest from the news desk. Alex Steele, back to you now here in New York. All right, Charlie, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, okay, so the market take uh, ahead of the Fed. Um, we feel like they're going to go 25, take a pause. What does all this wind up meaning? So Guy and I actually sat down with uh, Bruce Richards. He's the CEO of Marathon Asset Management Chairman. Um, he obviously it does private credit and credit markets. So he's obviously going to talk that up. But he had some really interesting things to say um, about what he thinks the Fed's going to do and when they're going to pause and where that misprice is in the market. He's going to move 25 basis points and move 25 basis points again in March. And so he started with 25 basis points in March a year ago. And that'll be 500 basis points over the course of a year. And so it's all about Powell and Fed's credibility right now. I think you guys are spot on talking about this because the markets aren't listening to them. The forward curve is pricing in a 50 basis points easing by this fall. The markets are wrong. That's what we believe. The Fed will hold this line. So although they'll stop around five, maybe five and a quarter, our call's five, but that's all noise, whether it's five or five and a quarter. The point is they're gonna stay at five for an extended period of time much longer than what markets expect yeah. because the market's expecting a pivot and there's no pivot coming, we believe. Is the Fed going to stay at that elevated rate because it's worried about its credibility or is the Fed going to stay at that elevated rate because it's worried about inflation? It's, it's both, but primarily because of inflation. And so here's the, here's the most interesting scenario. So let me give you two scenarios. Inflation stays, you know, it rolls over completely to two. Does the Fed ease? Not if the economy is still growing at a nice rate, and I believe the economy is still growing at a nice rate, by year end, if it rolls the two. Now, that's not a base case that you roll the two. 
But that'll be a shock to the market if you roll the two and the Fed doesn't ease. Because if the Fed eases at two, it's just going to reignite inflation because the economy would be too strong not to reignite inflation. But then if inflation rolls over to three to four percent, and we think that's where it's going to roll over to by year end and stay there for a bit, then there's no way the Fed is easing. Bruce Richards of Marathon catching up with Alex and I a little bit earlier on. Um, quite keen on the credit market. Thinks that that's the big opportunity. Shocker. So Which surprising. I'm really, really surprised about. But he did say it would be like, what, a 20, 30 percent decline in equities that would bring like the flood of money back into the credit market and private Yeah, it would push, push money basically into, yeah. into credit. Um, Marathon is obviously a credit fund. But, but Bruce, Bruce has a pretty clear view that the market is wrong when it comes to the Fed. Does John Authors share that view? He joins us now in the studio. Yes. And is the market wrong? <laughs> um, okay. Um, on that question, uh, I, I have been told many times, although I don't believe it's official Bloomberg doctrine, but that uh, it's an article of Bloomberg faith that the market is never wrong. Uh, it I is my message nine. That's, it yeah. is his message nine. Yes. I don't think that's uh, true in any particularly meaningful sense yep. because plainly um, when – collective decisions by the market come to uh, come to uh, fruition either they'll turn out to have to uh, to make money or not and if they don't make money then the market was wrong we can know that in hindsight however however you certainly should never ignore the market it's never safe just to uh, just to decide that the market's wrong and so we don't need to worry about it mm-hmm. I basically, except that I actually think credit is a little worrying at this point, agree agree exactly with with, with what he just with what he just said. I, the uh, the Fed is skewed towards uh, making sure that it does beat inflation. Many other central banks across the world only have to worry about that. And in any case, uh, as the Jolts numbers show today, it's not as though there are other. Uh, concern, which is maintaining full employment, appears to be in any uh, mm-hmm. any jeopardy at present. And while uh, it's certainly true that the peak really ought to be in for inflation, unless something you know new and terrible happens, getting it to the official target of two percent from where it is now is going to be tricky. And then the final point, and this is where the market's ability to create reality or to uh, induce responses to it, whether it's the Heisenberg principle or whatever, but you, as soon as you observe yep. the market, it has an effect. At this moment, according to our index, the Bloomberg index, financial conditions are easier mm-hmm. than they were bef- you know, on the eve of the invasion of Ukraine. That's nuts. Yes. Yeah. And, and so- the... F- and I, Powell just has to do something about that. Right. But if the markets don't listen, like if a tree falls in the forest, no one hears it. Does it actually happen? Like Powell may say all the things, Mm. but it feels like we're going to see some confirmation bias today that the markets want to see a dovish Powell. So they will find a dovish Powell. And we've had that. We've had that. at least once in the last six months when, when he made what I thought was an extremely hawkish press conference and people managed to find uh, yeah. nooks and crannies yes. in there. My suspicion is that what that has led to, um, I mean, who knows, because we, we'll know in a few hours anyway, but I think he has got himself to a position where he has to be really aggressive he has to come out like a pro wrestler saying what he's you know 
what horrible things he's going to do. I don't think do I want to see him pro wrestle. And and I, but, but what, you, you, I Andy Kaufman, maybe, I mean, whatever, <laughs> performance arts of some description. He really needs to come out very aggressively. Uh, and but isn't the market say, just going to go, and, oh, he's, he's trying to change. Yeah. The market's just going to go, oh, yeah, he's just trying to be hawkish. They're going to front run like, it. He's, he's got a credibility that's, problem. He's just trying to deal with that. That's the great risk he has to, to face. He, unless, unless he. Uh, Is there anything that he can say that wouldn't result in that conclusion? Uh, I think if he promised another hike next time, that would come a close. Hike? One hike is enough. One hike next time mm-hmm. would be enough. If he said that he thought the rate, if he named a rate that was higher than where it was, or if he mm. tried to rule out any cuts later this year, or maybe, but this is t- playing with fire, um, given the very various perverse effects that are meaning that quantitative tightening isn't having much of an effect so far, which you can tell from the financial conditions indexes, maybe he could amp up quantitative tightening. That is mm. unlikely. Mm-hmm. It That would do the trick, mm. um, assuming the trick he wants to perform is to get people scared of him again. That, that would make a difference. How does the Fed deal with the issue of a jobful decline? <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Basically, how does it get the job market to the point at which when the next cycle starts employers have laid people off and as a result of which you don't get huge wage inflation when demand takes off again like how, how do we it's a very difficult one isn't it the, the, the mere fact that um, the pandemic happened and has got us so far out of kilter yeah. probably does require a decade to really settle down uh, in the in the final analysis. So how does the Fed how does the Fed think about that and and deal with that? If the labour market stays tight, tight through the bottoming process hmm. and then demand takes off again, does that mean that we are going to have to have structurally higher rates? And what are those rates for a significant period of time? And this is it, we're all kind of thinking about this in a hmm. sort of six month nine month time horizon. But should we, as you say, be thinking about this in years and decades? Uh, I, I think the process you're talking about, we probably are talking about, if not decades, then because yep. you know, that really is getting a little too far. Okay, the future. But, but, but yeah, we probably are talking about the best part of a decade. That was a shock, the like of which had literally never, in mm. terms of how many people got laid off so quickly, had never happened before. Uh, and the degree to which you know we now have two vacancies for every unemployed person. Yep. Uh, and it's been like that pretty much with, with, with minor changes uh, for a year. And that's yep, really extraordinary. Stable. Again, there isn't a precedent for that. Um, and many so, yes. say that that's actually a structural thing. Yes. That's, that's certainly the implication. That would imply to me, uh, which is a very different argument from what's happened with all the money printing since the pandemic, but the, the argument that in the long term structural forces were turning inflationary rather than deflationary was probably right. The demographics are such that we're going to want more and more jobs for people to look after old people apart from anything else. This is what's happened in Japan. Uh, And fewer people to do them. Sorry? A guy saying robots. And I said, oh, that's actually not a bad idea. Well, that's that's true. (laughs) That's not the worst thing in the world I've heard. But they need to work very well before they can just just look at the the travails of Tesla with automatic, uh, autonomous driving yep. cars we, we digress but yeah. yes we can see where we can see yeah. where where we might be going a long way in the future but it's the technology to really allow robots to replace a lot of 
service jobs is still quite a long way away, even if we know that's the direction of travel. And meanwhile, we have a very strange economy. It is kind of weird. Mm. I really am. Mm. How does but how does Powell communicate this? Because it feels like we're still operating under the same paradigm as we were for the last ten years. Mm. That there is this sort of expectation. Does Powell need to say? Does Powell need to articulate how different this environment is for the market to to kind of get a grip? So many people I talk to still see this expectation that we're going to go back to where we were before. Yeah, I've never heard Powell articulate the fact that that actually this is very different. But I also wonder if that's part of the problem because then you're not then everyone who's been in the market in just the last fifteen years doesn't have a different template. So, or longer. Uh, you know, like, like twenty years, sure. Mm-hmm. I, I've been covering markets for thirty years, and you know, the the last time inflation was as as bad and difficult to deal with this was was when I was uh, only just starting at high school. So, mm-hmm. you know, th- this is a long, this is a long way back. You need to go to try to work out what the paradigm is, and yes, that that that's a big, big problem that Powell has to deal with. That people still don't quite believe. That you can have a—it's not really a new paradigm. It's a return to the old one of yeah. uh, inflation being a problem that you that requires action to deal with it. And I have say—I've seen people say that team transitory was been is being proven right. That that, uh, that you know there are still people saying this yep, was yep, a transitory yep. blip. Given what's happened to interest rates to combat it, and the whole point of transitory as of two years ago is you don't need to raise rates you look through because it. it's transitory. Yeah. That bothers me. That's getting to the level of denialism. I'm yeah, well, that, that's yeah, that's what I mean. Is is yeah. is how? But but mm. how does Powell articulate? How does Powell convince oh. those people? I think is with very great difficulty, and I'm glad I don't have his job. Yep. Uh, would be the first <laughs> most honest answer. I I, I I think he does. If he has the nerve, I suppose when we were trying to get back to uh, what can he say that will really convince people he means it? Maybe mm-hmm. he does need to do. Some kind of hyper Jackson Hole um, statement that think that the world is different. Yeah, I just, yeah. I, I do question if markets would actually believe it for the long term. Maybe a forty-eight hour reaction. Um, mm. John, always a pleasure. It's been a while since I've seen you in person. Great to chat with you, John. Authors of Bloomberg Opinion. Coming up, we're going to dig through some of the earnings and look ahead to Meta after the bell as well. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable, Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York alongside Guy Johnson in New York. Uh, Snap shares down by almost 14%. It was a pretty terrible quarter. Um, First ever quarterly revenue decline. um, And it really brought down its peers in the online advertising uh, business world. Uh, Joining us now is Sarah Fryer. uh, Fryer. She joins us, Bloomberg's big tech team leader. Um, Sarah, help us understand for Snap, well, I have a couple of questions, actually. What was Snap specific? What is the general market for these guys to capitalize on ad revenue just falling? And also, why was it all such a surprise? So this is a um, a company that has been something of a bellwether for the others in digital advertising. So a lot of investors are looking to snatch performance to figure out what's going to happen with Meta today, what's going to happen with Alphabet tomorrow, um, get a sense of how the overall market is is. Um, how, how advertiser spend is trending. So, what was interesting with Snap is, um, though they guided uh, 
pretty disappointing results for the the current quarter. They, they said that the um, revenue is going to actually decline between two and ten percent um, in the first quarter. They said that they've seen um, a leveling off of the pain in digital advertising. So in that way, it was it was um, a not a good sign, but at least not a worse sign for those other players in digital media. And for Snap, I, I mean, it is it has been a very tough year for them. They they lost, um, um, like all the others, um, lost a lot of value in their stock. But Snap is a smaller player. And, and so what happens in digital media happens worse to them. Um, okay. Because if you're a marketer and you're deciding what you're going to do with your budget, um, your limited budget, you're probably going to cut um, you know, the smaller platforms first before you cut the larger ones. Um, so I think they've heard, they felt a little bit more pain, and, and they felt it sooner than the rest. Um, so what they're doing right now, what is SNAP-specific, is they're going to make some adjustments to their direct response advertising business, which is the, the business that um, makes just adds that results in some sort of action, whether that's signing up for an email list or, or buying an item, um, something that they can track to show marketers that it actually worked, they need to fix that business. So those changes are, are what's causing that decline, not changes in advertiser spending. Okay, so they got to go away and fix things to make things better, hopefully further down the road. <laughs> well said, well said. Let, let's talk a little bit about, therefore, what we should expect from Meta. Take me through what the anticipation is. This is a company that, that has come under a huge amount of pressure from Wall Street, but the stock has bounced back quite considerably. Kind of where are, where are we in terms of expectations? Well, we want to figure out if, if Meta has done enough here. Right? They cut a, a large number of, of employees in the, in the fall. Um, has that been enough? Do they have to do another round? Did it go deep enough? Um, I, th- I think that's a big question. And they're still spending billions on this idea of the metaverse, which is not going to come to fruition anytime soon. And with the pain in digital advertising, you know, is that something that they need to reduce their expenditure on in order to um, focus on the main product? We've noticed some change in the rhetoric from Mark Zuckerberg lately that he's he's reassuring people that he is absolutely focused on the main social media business. Um, but those platforms aren't growing the way they used to. People aren't joining um, Instagram and Facebook at the rates um, that we they have in prior years, even though so far those those seems to be growing. So what we're looking for here is, are those platforms still growing? Um, is there some um, some fix to their problem with revenue? Because it's not just about the budget. It's about, it's about the fact that the rules have changed on mobile phones. Um, Apple, uh, on iPhones, I should say, Apple has made some privacy rules that make ads less effective. So, so Meta and others have to come up with workarounds for that. And, and in Meta's case, it, it's going to take a lot of investment in artificial intelligence mm-hmm. in order to make sure that those ads are effective. So what's the progress on that? We need to know. And are they going to have to do more cuts? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, exactly. 13% of the workforce already. Um, does Mark Z- Will Mark Zuckerberg talk about the importance of their core business? Or do you think he's going to talk up more the metaverse? And does is he... A- aware of how much the street doesn't want him to talk about the metaverse. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a theme of the last quarter, right? You know, he was talking about the future, and people were like, but look at your current business. Um, you know, he's, he, uh, he has asked for patience. 
um, he might ask for patience again. Usually he starts out the earnings call with a, a sort of broad vision for the future. Hopefully he's reading the room and, and will talk a lot about how he is still focused on the core, even as um, he invests in these bigger ideas that honestly may or may not pay off. Um, it's, still, it's still very much a, a question as to whether the metaverse yeah. is even going to be a thing. Yeah. I, I really hope for their sake that it's going to turn out to be something because there's a lot of money going into it. The, the one I'm really waiting for this week is Apple. What, what are you expecting from Apple? Because it feels like such a different business to the, the businesses we're talking about, Alphabet, Meta, Snap. Well, Apple might be tough because um, you know you're doing a comparison with a quarter last year where they had a newer iPhone and, and the product was released later this year. Um, so I should say later in that quarter. We're also thinking about um, some of the the issues with overall demand for electronics and phones. Um, there was a, a big surge in during the pandemic. People were upgrading things, and now not so much. Um, we're going to be listening to what's going to happen um, with their supply chain. Um, we've had a lot of scoops here at Bloomberg about how they are um, shifting their um, supply chain out of China into other regions. Um, what are they say, if they're going to say anything about that? I know it's a, a tricky subject for them. Um, anything about the the reversal of COVID tailwinds? Um, I think that it's going to be um, like you said. It, it's this is not a, a digital media business. This is this is a business that's about hardware, and so that's you're dealing with a lot of a lot of um, geopolitical. Issues, but also mm-hmm. um, issues of innovation. I mean, yeah. their their AR plans have been um, delayed, and mm-hmm. we're, we'll be listening for anything they say about what's going to happen with that um, that vision for the future. Sarah, great stuff. We appreciate it so much to dig through. Uh, Sarah Fr- uh, Fryer joining us, Bloomberg, a big tech team leader. What are we? Just an hour? Are we an hour away? We're an hour away, right? Yeah, an hour away from the Fed. Hour and a half until Powell. Yeah, I'm glad I got that out there. I can tell time. Uh, You're listening to The Cable. Guy and I will see you tomorrow. This is Bloomberg.